0: I have been looking forward to this. It's um, obviously in the news all the all the time at the moment about keeping hydrated. And if you remember last time I spoke, um, I was talking about uh, every time you drink, every time you do anything. Think of the words of Jesus: "Come unto me, all who are thirsty, and drink." And all the metaphors that there are in Scripture about drinking. And uh, uh, I think the last song we sang was included. The well. Do you want to come to the well? Um, there's always drink to be had in in the in the gospel, refreshment from God. So before I before I start to uh, expound on 1 Thessalonians 4, um, let's have a drink right now. Just if if you've got a if you've got a physical drink, take a swig. If you haven't. Do it, any- whoa. Mm. Do it anyway. Get whoa. Just realise that that's what God's called us to, to take drinks from him. And if you get embarrassed by that, it's probably easier if you're on Zoom at home. Um, I'm not being trivial. I'm deadly serious about this stuff. I know it's difficult to believe that sometimes and we're laughing and... and Doubling up and so on. But the Holy Spirit is there for us all the time. And, and drinking and breathing. I spoke last time about breathing him in. There are so many metaphors. And the trouble is we sometimes get our metaphors mixed and then we think um, it can't be God and it must be confusion. I've just just noted down here the Holy Spirit. Fire, oil, water which can change into wine, breath, wind, balm. There are just so many expressions which we use to describe how the Holy Spirit can be to us. But when you listen to them again, they're all about soothing, they're all about refreshing, they're all about, uh, whoa, building us up, just, whoa, and he's there all the time for us. So be encouraged. These are not, uh, they aren't, Mixed metaphors—they're different metaphors—and uh, I don't know if you've ever seen what happens if you pour water into oil that's boiling on the fire, but you get an explosion. Ha! Uh, <laughs> and I've often prayed. I remember praying that for John and Carolina when we were in in Wales, and uh, we had such an explosion in that meeting because the Holy Spirit was just available to move in every, every metaphor we could think of for him. And uh, that's my prayer for us in Marlow and wider as we go on these days. I really believe that God's stirring us up in a completely new way. Um, it's not just the, uh, the regret of the fact we didn't see revival in the, in the 90s and the noughties um, in the way that we were expecting it. But God hasn't stopped moving amongst us and he hasn't stopped dealing with us and taking us further on. And uh, I do think he wants us to keep open minds and open hearts to what he's doing. Uh. If you think about it, the people that Jesus had the most problem with were the people who were most knowledgeable about scripture, most knowledgeable about the history of their people, most knowledgeable about what actually the word of God said was going to happen in the future, and they missed a lot. It's uh, a reminder to us to keep ourselves open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Okay, that's all by way of introduction. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> I am actually going to uh, stick to my brief and talk about one Thessalonians. But before I do, one last one last scripture to do with refreshment and to do with where I think God has got us at the moment this is from song of songs i'm i'm reading from the passion translation i know some people have a, an issue with it but actually there's there's a lot of original hebrew has gone into the the making of this so it's it's a good way sometimes of listening to things afresh song of songs chapter 2 and verse 3 my beloved is to me the most fragrant apple tree he stands above the sons of men sitting Under his grey shadow, I blossom in his shade, enjoying the sweet taste of his pleasant, delicious fruit, resting with delight where his glory never fades. And then, where we're used to it saying, he brought me into his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. Suddenly, he transported me into his house of wine, he looked upon me with his unrelenting love, divine. Little poetic bit from Song of Songs. But the house of wine, the place of refreshment, the place that of the place of wooing. It's the place where uh, it, it was quiet. It was private. It was where the king <laughs> and other people who were. Rich enough to have a house of wine, would actually take people when they wanted to be quiet, when they wanted to be intimate, and uh, God wants us to be intimate with Him. Okay, so one Thessalonians four and verse thirteen to verse to chapter five, verse eleven. And Paul is addressing in this passage, uh, first of all, a, a question that's obviously come back to him, probably via Tim, Timothy, who'd been with the Thessalonians more recently. And if you remember how things are developing in this uh, in this letter, um, it seems that uh, Paul had only spent a very short time uh, with uh, with them in Thessalonica um, before he'd moved on, and in that very short time, he developed a real affection for these people. And uh, he's very very disturbed by the fact that he hasn't been able to get back to them and that's what he wants to do. But he's also heard um, how encouraging their progress has been. Um, The report that he got from Timothy, he said, was was incredibly um, thrilling to receive. So he now discovers that They've been a little worried um, about the fact that Jesus is going to come back, but some, of the, some amongst them have now died. Um, what's going to happen with them? Are they, have they missed out somehow? Because uh, if Jesus comes back, they're dead. You know? And so Paul starts off by saying, no, that's not how it works. Those who have died in Christ will actually, will actually meet him first. And then we will join with them. And the expression that's used, of course, is that Jesus is coming down. It says, Jesus is coming down. You need to pay pay attention to that. He's on his way down. He's not on his way up. He's on his way down. And the words that are used for us meeting him and those who have already died meeting him, are the same, it's the same expression that's used when you're expecting a dignitary to come to your city and you send a delegation out of the city to bring him in. It's not Jesus is swooping past and will vacuum everybody up out of it that he wants to and leave the rest behind and go off somewhere. He's on his way down. He's on his way down to earth. And we meet him as the delegation. We meet him to accompany him. And it says, and then we will be here with him like that forever. So we, we've met with him and we will be with him. But he's on his way down. He's on his way to earth. He's on his way to, to accomplish everything that's supposed to happen in Christ's return. It's interesting also, I think, how imminently they were expecting the return to be. You find it throughout Paul's writings, you find it in all the history of the early church, they really did think that Jesus was likely to come back in their own lifetimes. And so they lived with that urgency, and a lot of the writing is is sort of encouraging people to keep watch. Well, if you think back, that's, that's exactly what Jesus had said to his disciples uh, the last few times he was with them before the crucifixion was, you know, stay alert, be aware. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. All that sort of metaphors of, of, uh, of speed and, and suddenness. And it's very easy for us because we're, we're 2,000 years on from that. And he's not really coming in the near future, is he? You know, he's, he's coming sometime, and we really believe that. How about this afternoon? How about in the next five minutes? How, re- how ready are we? You know, how, how aware are we that that could actually happen? How, how real is that to us? Ha! So that's the first few verses Paul assuring his friends in Thessalonica that those who have died amongst them are not going to miss out. In verses 15 to 17, he then describes what it will be like, you know, this 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 coming back of Jesus. And there are other scriptures which talk about, you know, trumpet calls and angels and... and uh, other other places it says, uh, as the lightning flashes from the east to the west. I mean, you know, you're not going to miss this event, guys. It is, <laughs> it's going to, it's going to happen. Have you ever tried to work out how that's going to happen? Because some people are going to be, in the wrong, you know, the other side of the world. If he comes back to Israel, what you're what are you going to see in New Zealand? <laughs> you know. But it says. As the, as the lightning flashes from one side of the sky, to the, you're not going to miss this event, guys. Whenever it happens, but we're not going to tell you when it is. Jesus said, I don't know when the, when the time is. Only the Father knows. The trouble is that these scriptures, have, and, and Paul sounds as if he's talking, he says this is a word from the Lord um, when he's saying h- how Jesus will come back. Uh, Paul had spent time with, God, with Jesus. Uh, three years, in fact, of, of his ministry is, is sort of missing before um, we start hearing from him. And uh, he talks elsewhere about being transported into heaven and hearing things which he's not even permitted to tell. So maybe he would also had a, a special sort of understanding of what it was going to be like when Jesus comes back. Anyway, he's he's talking with authority there as to what it's going to be like. But it's amazing how the church has taken two things. One one is this Jesus coming down to mean that we're all going to be whisked away and uh, and the, the world's going to go through tribulation and all sorts of stuff and we're not going to be there um, because we've been raptured. And also, from time to time, people have said, And what's more, I've done my study, and I've studied this, and I've studied Daniel, and I've studied Revelation, I've studied everything else, and he's coming back a week next Tuesday. And we need to be ready for him, so we're all going to gather in some particular place. And it's happened so many times, it's tragic. Jesus said, I don't know when it is. You know, what are we listening to? And yet... Down through the centuries these, these things have come, and people have become certain nigel 's excellent talk the other day talked about um, certainties and certainties being a a direct stumbling block to wonder and it 's amazing how people get certain about stuff we 're told not to be certain about, even it 's true Jesus is coming back. But he's coming back at any time we do not know. But it could be in the next five minutes. And it could be another hundred years. But we make all this rubbish up about it. And then the detail of that becomes the thing that concerns us. And we miss the very fact that we're told to keep alert. Okay, what does that mean? It means when you see signs, I don't know, may, maybe, maybe some of the... Uh, whether stuff that's going on at the moment is a sign, maybe it is part of what we keep alert about. There are things going on in the in the world that have been un, that are unprecedented. There are certainly wars and rumours of wars. You know, there's all this sort of stuff going on, but we're supposed to be alert to the fact that Jesus is returning, not alert to the fact that ah, now we can give our attention to this sign or that sign. The signs are there to lead you to expect Jesus to return. They're not there to look at the signs. You know, have you ever done that? You know, you're driving along and you want to get someone. You get on the motorway and there's a sign. And you, oh, better pull over onto the hard shoulder and have a look at it. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's blue, so it's a proper motorway sign. And it's, I mean, the the thing's there to show you where you're going. It's not to show, not to stop and look at, you know. So, I don't know, I'm not sure that's in 1 Thessalonians, but it's, it's a lesson we can learn from from what Paul is saying to them. I think as, as it goes on, Paul goes on to talk about, we are not people of the darkness, we are people of the light. And to be honest, it's it's one of those passages where he makes such a point that he says things over and again different ways about um, we're obviously in the day and we mustn't sleep like those who are people of the night and you think we are supposed to go to bed, aren't we? <laughs> you know, you can get you can get hung up on, on on the words here and not and miss the point. It's not that light and darkness don't happen and night and day don't happen and we're not supposed to get a good night's sleep because I really believe we are but it is that we're not people of the night we're not people who wait until it's dark because actually our deeds don't bear up in the light because we spend our evenings and our nights drinking and getting blotter and yet he brought me into his house of wine What's that about? If we're not supposed to drink, what's the point in God himself saying, I brought you into my house of wine? We're going to have refreshment. We're going to have... It talks about being intoxicated on his love. You see these metaphors. You know, if, you, if you, you get hung up on the individual things, you miss the point. That God is wanting to woo us and is quite happy for us in his presence to be intoxicated with him. What he's not happy with is us sloping off into the night, hiding away and getting drunk. Scripture says elsewhere, don't get, don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. Well, some of us have realized that when we get filled with the Spirit, we look as though we're drunk anyway. Ha! What's that about? It's about the intimacy that God wants for us again. He does want to pull us into things, so we are not those—we are not sons and daughters of the night, rejecting the light. We are not given to drink to find joy, but we can be intoxicated with His love. And in the spirit, you find that you still retain sober judgment. You do not lose all the faculties that you lose when you get physically drunk. So I'm told. Um, I have I have never been drunk. (laughs) So so we have these three points. Jesus is definitely coming back, that's a certainty. We don't know when, but it could be soon. We're called to be alert and aware and notice things but we're not to stop and look at the things we're supposed to take those as an encouragement the thing that paul was thrilled to bits about the thessalonians and he says right at the end encourage one another with these words as you are already doing and so finally my encouragement to us has got to be the same keep encouraging one another with these words with this with this truth that jesus is returning because exci- that is an exciting thing. And it's not a, oh, don't worry about what's going on. Jesus is going to return. It's not a forget about the world, forget about problems, forget about everything. It's actually, we ought to be giving our attention to some of those things because those are the things Jesus told us to do. And he said, you better be doing them when I come back. So it's, it's not a, oh, a, a we give up. And we just sit around and wait. But it, it could be soon. It's actually get on with it while there is light. While it is still day, there's work to do. So very finally, I'm saying that uh, where historically Jesus, uh, the church has focused sometimes on the facts of Jesus' return, and we do need to see the signs, those should drive us to intimacy with God. They should drive us closer to him. And our confidence is in the person of Jesus, and not on the facts that we've been told. It's not on the, the fact that some people say, "Well, he, when he comes back, it'll be like Revelation, and one foot on one side of the, uh, of the, uh, the rift in the in the valley, and the one foot on the other side." And that I don't know what it's going to look like. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. It's going to be crazy. But you can get so hung up on those things, you miss what God is actually saying, and He hasn't changed actually. We're still supposed to care for the poor amongst us. We're still supposed to um, not snuff out a, a, a candle. We're not supposed to break a bruised reed. We're supposed to be caring, loving people, demonstrating God's love for the world by the way that we love one another and the way that we love other people. That's our calling. It remains our calling. So whether we see signs or whether we don't see signs, our confidence is in the person. The signs are about, and not in the signs themselves. It's not in our understanding of the mechanism of Jesus' return. It's in our confidence and our assurance that he is coming back.